Mindless Can, the podcast, with radio personality Jane Lindley Thomas and psychologist Paul Bushel. Because every act of kindness, no matter how big or small, can change lives. In this series, Jane and Paul hope to enrich your life by giving you practical tools on how to be kinder in your relationships with yourself, with those around you, at home, work, and in your community. So it is our absolute joy to have a very dear friend of mine with us on the Kindness Can uh, podcast today. Uh, we say hello to Bridget McNulty, who is a writer, content strategist, and co-founder of Sweet Life, South Africa's largest online diabetes community. Bridget lives in beautiful Cape Town uh, with her hubby, son, and daughter. It is an absolute thrill to have you with us. Hello, my friend. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Hello, Paulie. Jane, hi Bridget. Thanks so much for making the time today. Yeah, you've just written a new book and unfortunately we are living through some pretty hard times at the moment, but I really believe that your book has come at just the right time. Tell us more about it. Thank you. Yeah, uh, sadly I agree with you. It's called The Grief Handbook, A Guide Through the Worst Days of Your Life. And I wrote it when my mom died very suddenly. She died uh, two years ago and she was totally fine. And then not 13 days from diagnosis until she died. And in the wake of her death, I'm a writer and a reader. And so I read everything I could find about grief and how to cope with it and how to handle it and what it was and what to do. And I couldn't find anything that helped. There's a lot of very religious books about grief and there's a lot of philosophical books about grief, but I wanted something empathetic and kind and something that would kind of hold my hand through the process. And it's so strange because I started writing it at the beginning of the pandemic, but I mean, no one could possibly have predicted in July, 2019, that there would be a global pandemic when the book was published. And the timing feels quite uncanny to me because we're all dealing with so much grief at the moment. And I think so many of us just don't know what to do with it. It was quite surreal because, you know, whenever I thought of you, I thought of your mum. Whenever yeah. I thought of your mum, I thought of you. And when I got Two this book, in a pod. Oh, absolutely. I mean, inseparable. When I got this mm. book, I can't tell you what a sense of relief it gave me because as I SMSed you, one of my biggest fears in my life is losing someone that I love family, my mom. And I just felt like a lifeboat had arrived in my bookshelf, something that I knew would be waiting for me when that day came. And all I could say to you was just, just thank you. Thank you so much for providing a space that is gentle and nurturing, because what we also understand is that how you grieve is different to how I may grieve, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I hoped for. Thank you, Jenny. And it's so funny because my mom dying was the thing I was most afraid of, which is insane because my husband dying would obviously have a lot more of a daily impact on my life. But we were so close. I'm the youngest and the only girl. I have three older brothers and my mom and I look very alike and we dressed very alike and we had the same taste in jewelry. And we just, we were, I want to say she was my best friend, but at her funeral, so many people came up to me and were like, your mom was my best friend. So it became a bit of a family joke. And now I don't think I can say it anymore. <laughs> but she was, yeah, one of the most important people in my life. And I just didn't know what to do when she was gone. And it's funny because 
after I wrote this book, another friend of mine who's a similar age, because I mean, I'm, I've just turned 39. This is it. We're entering into the years now where in the next decade or so, our, our parents are going to die. And we're so scared of talking about it because we don't want it to happen. But what I hoped to do with the book and, and why I'm so happy to hear you say that is that I just wanted to provide some kind of a roadmap for the first year because it's it's so hard and it feels like it shouldn't be so hard. Like there's this this very real sense when you're going through grief that someone knows how to do it better and it shouldn't be this difficult and it shouldn't be ruining your life to this extent because everyone goes through it. And if everyone goes through it, how can it be this hard? And I wanted to show that it is what it is and however you're doing it is exactly the right way and it does get better because I think that's also something that is impossible to fathom when someone you love has just died is that you will ever be able to wake up with a clear head and a happy heart again. I thought I was ruined. <laughs> like I, I have always been such a joyful person and I thought, well, this is it. Like I'm just never going to experience joy again. And it does come back. I think loss is just, it must be one of the hardest experiences that we go through in our lives because it's so final and irreversible. Talk us through some of the things that you've learned on your journey of loss, but that you've put down on the book as well, that other than making space to grieve how you need to grieve and not to be judgmental or competitive on that process, but what were some of the practical things that really were helpful to you? I think what was so surprising to me, I mean, there were a couple of things that were really surprising to me. I, w- I was surprised how physical it felt, how physical grief felt. Like I, I didn't have any energy and I felt really headachy and my sleep was disrupted for months. And I, so there's a lot of very practical tips on how to deal with sleep, because if you can't sleep, then we all know life is so much harder if you can't sleep. So that was one of the things like the, I felt like I had to treat myself like a sick child. Like I had to remind myself to eat. And one of the best pieces of advice someone gave to my dad was eat like a normal person eats. So eat breakfast, eat lunch, eat dinner at a normal time. What you used to eat, even though you're not hungry and you don't feel like eating and you don't care about food, just treat yourself as if you were ill. And that was so surprising because I think we have this idea and I definitely had this idea before that grief is just kind of like a bad sadness, like maybe on the edge of depression, but it's just like when you feel sad after you have a breakup, it's like that, but a little bit worse. And so it was so surprising to me how it just obliterated everything else in its wake. Like there, there's this concept of the fog of grief that I found so helpful. And it was actually in, it's not my idea. It was in a book I read. It was a series of books called Journeying Through Grief by Kenneth C. Haug. And they were quite religious. So much of it didn't, didn't really work for me. But this idea of the fog of grief is that soon after your loved one dies, this fog descends and it's, it's physical in that you feel, as I said earlier, you feel exhausted and headachy, but you also, you get clumsy. And my brothers and my dad and I all noticed this. We were like, we kept having dumb accidents, like slipping on the bathroom mat that's always been there and like dropping a glass and bumping into things that have, that weren't in the wrong place. Just like it, it literally felt difficult to navigate through the daily activities of life. But then also your head is in this fog, which is why I couldn't read the, kind of denser, more philosophical books, because I I felt dumb. Like my brain just wasn't working the way it was supposed to. 
And then your emotions, of course, are completely maxed out on grief. So anything, any tiny little thing pushes you over the edge dramatically. So parenting while grieving is a whole other story. Mm. What I also love about this book, Bridge, is that, you know, you've taken into account that the person that's reading this is in the fog. So I love that the book feels light. Although the contents is of a more heavier nature, it's dealt with in such a tender way that if today I just feel like coloring in this beautiful uh, picture Mm. in the book, I can do that. Um, If today I feel like listing things um, on a list that's provided in the book, there's something that feels accessible. It's not this huge Mm. book of text that's going to make me have to work really hard to get through it. It feels it feels like a friend. It feels like a companion that take what you can from me today. And that is just enough. Yeah. And that was the funny thing is that so many of, of the books I looked at, I remember going into a bookstore and all the books had too many words. Mm. <laughs> and I mean, I'm a reader. I love words, but it felt like there was no space for me to do anything with a book that just gave me all the words. And then I also didn't want to journal because that was just blank pages and that felt too overwhelming. So what I've tried to do with this is, is kind of guide people through exercises that I found helpful and ways of looking at grief that that kind of take you out of it, like the idea of externalizing grief. So you write a letter to your grief so that you can recognize that even though it feels as if this is the new you, you are not actually your grief. You're experiencing grief, which I think is helpful. And then I've also done an audiobook that I keep forgetting about. <laughs> so I read the book, and for those who don't or who don't feel don't like reading or don't feel that they've got the headspace to read, they can also listen to it, which I think is is quite lovely. I think a word that's jumping to mind for me is as as you're talking, uh, and I think it's so important on the journey of grief is just giving yourself permission, uh, permission yeah. to feel what you need to feel, permission to to emotionally but also physically uh, and mm. permission to do the things that you need to do to respond to that uh, without yeah. judgment without comparison uh, without pressure and I think that's really really important for for all of us in our daily lives but certainly during grief that kind of just sitting with our feelings sometimes and uh, not feeling like we have to rush over them or rush through them or do something quickly with them uh, I love the idea of activities of just kind of slowing it down and being with it. And it's so funny because I, I have always in life been on this like journey to improve myself. So spiritually and emotionally and physically and mentally. And I've been going to like a life coach for over a decade. And, and it was so disconcerting to experience something that I couldn't master because you can't, you can't get better at, at it you can't get over it by working hard it's not like oh if you just practice then you'll feel better or if you do xyz you'll feel better and I had all these tools that had helped me through past heartaches and they just weren't enough and I I did them like I would get fresh air and I would eat properly and try and sleep normally and only watch cheerful things on tv and it just wasn't enough and I think that's one of the reasons I really want to talk about grief more is so that we can recognize that it isn't something that just happens to you and then you get better and in three months it's gone. It's something that sits with you and it can sit with you for ages. Like I remember after seven months, I had one of the hardest periods of grief and and that's one of the difficult things is that it's not that you get 
bitter and then keep getting bitter. It's cyclical. So you can feel bitter and then you fall back into the pit and you feel terrible again. And I posted something on Instagram that was, I was like trying to look for little slices of joy amidst the week. And I said, it's been such a tough week of grief, but look at these beautiful flowers and a friend dropped off this plant and hopefully next week will be better. And I got all these very sweet concerned messages from friends being like, Oh my goodness, what's happened. And I was like, what's happened is that my mom died seven months ago. Like I'm not better, but there was this real sense Mm. of surprise that I could still be dealing with that. Mm. And they'd thought that like something else had happened. And so I think we need to normalize the fact that people who are grieving are grieving for as long as it takes and there's no rush to get over it. Mm. I love the way, um, again, you, you tell your story, you talk about going home uh, you talk, I mean, it, it's such a, um, I could, I could smell, I could hear, I could feel it was so beautifully written as always. I mean, you write so beautifully, oh, Bridge, but you. I love the way you spoke about, not in love it, but I could so identify with that pushing of the bruise and how mm. you spoke about how, you know, eating fast food might make you feel good in the moment and that whole diet of eating three times a day and at night, making sure that you don't get into a confrontation with your grief after a long day and yeah, kind of no hard thoughts. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Uh, like really helping through the process of this is helpful to hear. This is not so helpful to hear. This yeah. is something I suggest you should do. This is what could happen when you wake up at 4am in the morning. It's just like, it kind yeah. of feels like your hand is outstretched to say, I got you. It kind of really feels like one of those books where the words come to mind, where I'll help you walk home. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I was hoping for. And I suppose and also because you, you don't know it, at the time that it's bad to push on the bruise and that you shouldn't start thinking hard thoughts later at night. And, and because you're feeling dumb because you are, because your brain is not working properly, it, it's hard to put those guidelines in place yourself. So yeah, that's what, why I just wanted to, to offer what it worked for me. And if it doesn't work, like even Anytime someone says, oh, where can I get your book? I'll say, I hope it resonates. And if it doesn't, feel free to pass it on. Like It'll find its way to someone who needs it, even if it's, it's not right for you. Going back to the, the idea of the bruise, I think mm. what's sometimes been useful in my experience of, of grief and working with people with grief, and it, it sometimes sounds like quite a hopeless thing to say, but the idea that don't have this expectation that that bruise one day will just be gone uh, and it'll be Mm. over Mm. rather focusing on building your life around that bruise with the, with the expectation that the intensity of it, the amount of time that I think or the depth of, of, or the frequency that I feel about it uh, will change over time, but the bruise Mm. will always be there. And when you connect that loss in the future or that, the memory of that person in the future, there will always be tender feelings around that. And that's okay. Uh, you can hold those feelings. And it's sometimes useful to imagine that that tender feeling is part of the wonderfulness that you felt for them. So kind of letting go of this idea that one day you'll just accept it and, and your life will carry on. I, I don't know what you feel when I say that, Bridge, but that's always been quite a in terms of managing expectations of yourself and giving yourself permission, quite useful to hold on to as you navigate yeah. through it. Yeah, there's, someone said to me the other day, which I loved, that the intensity of your grief is related to the intensity of your love. And I found that 
to be very true that you wouldn't want someone you care about so deeply to be gone and for you to be like, eh, okay, I'm fine now. Like it's not enjoyable, but it, it feels appropriate that it's so hard. And there's this lovely image doing the rounds at the moment of a jar with a black ball in it. And the jar signifies your life and the black ball is your grief. And in the beginning, the ball fills the jar completely. And you think that the ball is going to get smaller, but actually what happens is that the jar just gets bigger. So your life expands, but the grief is always there and it's always a part of it, but your life expands around it. So you're able to have more days when you're able to get through things easily. Whereas yeah. in the beginning, everything is a trigger. The idea that the, the bruise doesn't go away, but you learn to build a life around it again and yeah. find meaning in other parts of your life again. And, and that's a process of time. Yeah, it is. We were saying at the beginning, you know, that you 39, 38, uh, that you're in that season of your life mm-hmm. where, you know, our folks aren't going to live forever, but never has it been or beautifully, if I can use that word in this context, positioned where we're living through history, we're living through a pandemic, we're living through a space and place where the recorded deaths in our country per day are something unfathomable. And the timing to start talking and debunking and getting into the saddle with our grief and being able to talk about it, normalize it and support each other has never been more important. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Because it it also is just bizarre to me that grief is the one thing we are all guaranteed of. Like if we have any relationship in life, we are guaranteed that at some stage we're going to experience grief, either the grief of us going first or of the person we love going first. And it's so strange to me that we're so awkward about it, but we are so awkward about it. We just, we don't know how to talk about it. We don't know what to do when, when someone's loved one dies like there's this weird pressure on the person who's grieving to put on a happy face because everyone is so awkward and we're taught that like when there's all the social awkwardness around we must just smile our way through it and so there's this weird pressure to get over it because there isn't really a a common ground and and a space for us to be able to talk about it in a just in a gentle kind way and so I think the more that we can normalize the fact that Grief is part of all of our lives and it is so hard. I was chatting to a friend last week whose mom died in April and I, I wanted to give her some, I sent to the usual condolences in the beginning, but I wanted to give her some space and I said, how are you doing? And she said, I'm just so amazed how hard it is. I've done hard things before and this is harder than anything I've ever done. And I felt the same way. Like I, I just yeah, I couldn't believe how constant it was. And so the more we can talk about it, the more we can let people know that they're not alone in feeling like that. And I think also the world just carries on, right? Yeah. I mean, everyone's still carrying on with their life and you in the trenches with this hole in your heart. And then, oh my gosh, you're approaching the anniversary of your person's death or their Mm. birthday or something special and trying to navigate around that as well love that in the book as well there's a chapter on first like how to deal with the anniversary how to how to deal with the big things that they seem so big and they must be so heavy yeah our first month my mom died on the first of july my birthday's on the third of july my nephew's first birthday was on the seventh of july so his first birthday was my mom's wake which was very bleak (laughs) and then her birthday was on the 22nd of july so the three weeks after she died, 
we had plans already to celebrate her birthday, which is also just so weird when like you have plans and then they've disappeared. Hmm. It was just one first after another. And the anniversary to me was so meaningful because particularly the first anniversary, something shifts after that because I found it almost impossible the first year not to be looking back to this time last year Mm. and this time last year was always better because my mom was there and we were doing things and like they flew to Cape Town to watch The Cure in March (laughs) of that year and in June she was in a morphine coma and on the 1st of July she was gone it was just it Mm. it took us such a long time to get over the disbelief of it because Mm. it was so fast that the whole of the first year was just like a like a, a shock over and over again and then after the anniversary passes at least you're not doing that anymore so you're not mm. saying like well this time last year she came to stay with us and this time last year we went to stay with her and this is what we did this day there's a sense that you've you've done the first of everything and it eases a little after that mm. yeah not to wallpaper over the honest of this unfolding journey for you uh, but I, I can't help but yeah. feel as I sit here in this conversation that there have obviously been people around you and tools that you've used, but also stuff inside of you that you've been able to draw on to to hold that hardness and, and navigate through that. And I think it's it's important to, yeah, just for for the person listening to know that you can navigate this, even though there are days where it feels just completely impossible. Yeah. And it does get better eventually. And all you have to do is one day at a time. That's literally all anyone has to do. And if one day feels like too much, then you just have to do half a day at a time. I found that very helpful, actually. So I would wake up in the morning and the day would feel too overwhelming, but I could think to lunchtime and I would think, okay, I just have to get through to lunchtime. And then at lunchtime, I would think, okay, I just have to get through to dinner time. Then at dinner time, I think, okay, I just have to get through to bedtime. And you, and if you compartmentalize things down, then it makes it easier to deal with. I found. I loved also in the book, um, you wrote a list of here are some things I felt um, were helpful to hear um, when mm. your mom and dad. Things like, I'm sorry, I'm here if you need to talk. I'm sending you so much love. I can only imagine how you feel. Can I drop off dinner? And the list goes on. And then things that are not as helpful yet, I feel like as a society, because we are so uncomfortable and feel such discomfort in the discomfort, that how often Mm. have we heard people saying when someone is mourning, let me know if you need anything. And then you write, I don't know how to get through the day. I can't possibly think about what I might need. Yeah. Something like there's such pressure on the person. and, And that's, I think that's probably the most common thing that we say is let me know if you need anything. But that's asking the person who is completely overwhelmed, first of all, to identify what would make them feel better and then to reach out and ask for it. It's never going to happen. And so if you can just offer something super specific, I I have a checklist in the book, but you would know your friend or your loved one. If you can offer something like, can I drop off dinner tomorrow night at 5 p.m.? I won't stay. I'll just drop it at the gate and go like, that's super helpful. Or can I look after your kids for two hours so you can lie down? That's Mm. super helpful. Like just very practical, like even like a, do you want to talk about your loved one? Like that's a really lovely offer because a lot of the time you do want to talk about them, but 
like you, you don't know how to get into that conversation or you just mm. want someone to sit with you. Like the, the most meaningful times in my grief were when friends were able to just be with me. And it's really hard to just be with someone who's grieving because there's no new information. There are no new stories, mm. but you have to keep telling the story over and over again so that you can process it. And that can get really boring. I was really sad for a really long time and it kind of like burns through your friendships because you can't like acquaintances can't deal with that. And, and if you don't have the strength to put on a happy face and pretend you're okay, and they don't have the strength to sit with you while you're falling to pieces, the friendships that can survive that are friendships that will stick around. And I found that such a gift for just people to just sit with me. Cause sometimes you don't want to be on your own, but you can't, you don't have the strength to engage. So it's nice to just be together. Mm. or to offer that also in the book um you know everything happens for a reason i mean that we hear that often oh. or at least she didn't suffer and you wrote here oh, the at least um so my grief should be less because it was such a rapid decline but i mean i think that all these things are said with uh, the heart is there the intention is there because obviously no one wants to hurt you while you're down but we're not equipped we don't know. We don't know. I mean, even we were discussing a friend of ours has lost his dad. And I'm just so grateful that I'm one of those people that just gets stuck into the trenches. Like I want to reach out. I want to ask yeah. you how I can lift you. Um, and I have to just share this quote that actually I sent to our very dear friend that we were talking about earlier, because I thought that it was just such a wonderful quote that was sent to me, which I sent onto him that said, this too shall pass until then fetch wood, carry water walk the earth yeah and he just came back and he was just like oh my gosh I'm you know I'm, I'm walking in the forest today I'm gonna carry the water I'm gonna I'm gonna fetch the wood but I think again we try so hard to be there but we just we're fearful we're fearful of saying the wrong and, thing uh, we're fearful of talking and, about death and the fearful of saying the wrong thing is it's such a double double-edged sword because a lot of people said to me I actually have a whole chapter in the book about at least because I think that's what we reach for like we hear a terrible story and we and we're like oh my god this is so awful but I can't say oh my god this is so awful so you you reach for anything you're like well at least it it didn't take that long or at least you have a lot of good memories or like there's always an at least you can reach for but really all people want to hear is oh that's so hard I'm so sorry and I think the worst thing you can do, worse even than saying the wrong thing, is to not say anything because it's very difficult not to take that personally. So I think even if you reach out and you just say to someone, I'm so sorry, or I'm sending you lots of love, like just an okay. indication that you've heard and that you care because those are like little drops that collect in the bucket and they do make you feel a little bit better. But also I think you're not attached to reality properly when you're in deep grief. And so the most innocuous things can send you into a rage or you can think, Oh, that's such a thoughtless thing to say when really bless everyone's trying their best. Everyone really is trying their best. No one is out to get you. Mm. So I think, yeah, just, just try to be as kind as possible and, and recognize that everyone's doing their best. Mm. Bridget, I just want to say thank you for creating a safe and kind place for people to go to in 
probably one of the hardest moments of, of their life. So well done and, and thank you. And uh, thank you for spending time with us today. And I hope that we can keep this conversation going in some way and offer more support and light to so many people who tragically, unfortunately, are experiencing loss at the moment. Thank you so much for having me and for the beautiful work that you guys do. I think it's just such a blessing in the world. Oh, thanks, Bridgian. Well done, my love. I'm so proud of you. I mean, it's such a beautiful interactive journal. That's what I love about it is how interactive it is. And as I said to you, you've, you've got a lifeboat on my bookcase. And um, although it's something I'm scared <laughs> of and something I know will come, I know that you'll be there. Um, and I thank you for that. That is lovely. Thank you so much. All right, my beautiful people. I love you both very much. And we will uh-huh. catch up really, really soon. You've been listening to Kindness Can, the podcast. Find out more at kindnesscan.co.za.